Before we dive into the message this morning, I'd like to follow up on something we learned about in Bible Hour this morning. Gavin? Gavin? You remember we talked about providence? You all remember we talked a little bit about providence this morning? Well, I mentioned this morning that we need to look for providence and rejoice when we see it and praise the Lord when we see providence. Well, I've been sitting through this service thinking of lots of providence. There have been lots of providence in this service. You know the hymns that we sing or sang this morning? Many of them were picked out some time ago. And consider the fact that even last night when everything was printed, we had no idea that our hearts would be so heavy today in the passing of Brother Foltz. Yet do you see how the providence of God orchestrated the songs to minister to our hearts? Oh, say, but I'm glad. The Lord knows the way through the wilderness. His eye is on the sparrow. Even Mrs. Toole playing, it is well with my soul. That's a double-double providence because she wasn't actually on the schedule to play. And yet, Evelyn was on the schedule to play this morning and the week got out of hand and she couldn't get it all pulled together so it was a last minute scramble and so Mrs. Toole was substituting. And in God's providence, she was substituting and God knew that Evelyn needed a substitute so that Evelyn could be with Miss Fultz right now. And God orchestrated that providentially and then even providentially orchestrated so that the selection that you chose would be a ministry to our hearts. And the song that the Flemings played how rich and appropriate is a ministry to our hearts on such a day of how rich God is. So I give praise to the Lord for his providence. He indeed works things out, and he's working here today. And I'm rejoicing and praising him for that. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. It's actually interesting that our message this morning has many relevant exhortations to all of us on the things on our mind. As we've learned before, 1 Peter was written to strangers, believers, scattered throughout a region where persecution is either rampant or soon to be. The book is written to encourage and to teach the believers how to respond in trials and temptations. In the immediate context, it is of suffering. Suffering of that is inflicted by persecutors. As as Americans so rarely face such persecution, in some ways, we miss the richness of these passages because we don't have the experiences to apply them to. But at the same time, we do have trials and we do have struggles. It comes in different ways. And the truths that are taught here for those, being, those who are trials of sufferings and persecution are true in all different ways. We saw last time that though strangers scattered these strangers are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification 
they are set apart, they are holy of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, whereby we have forgiveness and we have grace. Grace unto us and peace, but not just grace and peace. Grace and peace unto us be multiplied. This morning, we look at the next section, which is a long sentence, beginning at the beginning of verse 3 and continuing through the end of verse 5. These three verses are rich. They are rich in glorious spiritual truth. They're profound. They're very special. This morning, we're not going to have time to go through all the details laid out in them. But I'd like to cover especially a theme presented in verse 3. But before we dig into that, I'd like to look at the whole sentence together. See it in context. It begins with praise. Paul's greeting rejoices in grace and peace being multiplied. And as soon as this is communicated, Paul, under the inspiration, or not Paul, Peter, have I been saying Paul all this time? Sorry. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is, um, breaks forth in praise as he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Great God, thank you for this letter. Thank you for what you have conveyed to us, revealed to us in this one sentence, packed full of glorious truth that encourages our hearts, that lifts us up in hope in you. Lord, our hearts are heavy this morning in the news of the passing of our brother. But Lord, these truths were real for him, and they're especially real in a new way for him at this very moment. And for that we rejoice. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us as we look to these words, as we study them, as we are taught by your Holy Spirit. Use me, but as your messenger, help me as I clarify and explain and Lord, most of all, I pray that your spirit would move and do the work of encouraging and in some places convicting 
and in some places reproving, that you would go before us, that you would do a work in each of our hearts and minds this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, can you break forth with Peter in rejoicing in this truth? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Rewind back in time with me again to the context this letter was written. Intense persecution has broken out across the Roman Empire. What happens when there's trouble? So often our flesh wants to say, God, what's wrong with you? Doesn't it? But that's not the response here. Rather, the response here in opening all of this is to respond in blessing God, in praising him, in declaring, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be here is a declaration of exaltation and praise to God. When our hearts are heavy, let us bless our God. Let us bless our God, who is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, what is packed into the background of who he is and what he has done and is doing for us. And he goes on to explain some of the things that he's done for us. So often we give thanks for what God has done, what he is doing, and what he has promised to do in our lives. Here are some of the specifics that we can pray, that we can give thanks, that we can praise and bless the Lord for. We bless him because he has abundant mercy. Do you see it there? Which, according to his abundant mercy, is not just mercy. It's abundant mercy. It's a whole lot of mercy. It's, it's, it's more than we can imagine. What is mercy? Really, the definition I learned as a little child in the Bible memory program still rings true to this day. Mercy is God not giving me what I deserve. God not giving me what I deserve. I don't deserve anything of good. Do you know what I deserve? I deserve the lake of fire. Because I am a sinner. Just like you. We all deserve the lake of fire. But today we can say, blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy did something so that we don't get what we deserve. I love an old Bible teacher who's in heaven today. He used to say, be careful in demanding your rights. Be careful in demanding your rights with God. Because our rights are judgment. 
it is according to his abundant mercy that we don't get what we deserve and what is rightfully, righteously ours. But what has he done according to his abundant mercy? He's done something. Follow, look here in the verse. He hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have been begotten again. We have been born again. We have become the children of God. And it is to a lively hope. This morning, we may be tempted to be put down in the face of death. But we need not be. We can bless our God because according to his abundant mercy, we have been begotten again, not into a dead, hopeless misery, but into a lively hope, a living hope. What's hope? It's not wishful thinking. It's not, oh, I hope I get this for Christmas, or oh, I hope so-and-so wins this game. No, 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 no. Hope here is confident expectation. Well, what's that mean? Ever looked in dictionaries and read the dictionary and had to look up a few words in the dictionary in the definition to figure out what the definition said? Sometimes we need to do that. Confident expectation is what hope is. Well, what's that mean? Well, confident means you're absolutely sure of it. Hope is that you are absolutely sure of something that you know is going to happen. Confident expectation. And it is a lively hope. You see, if we were not receiving abundant mercy and if we hadn't been begotten again, we would be in misery. We would be dead in trespasses and sins, having no hope. But blessed be God our Father this day, for we have a lively hope. And you know why we have a lively hope? It's by something. It's by something. It's by what? Right in the verse. It is by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Many of us have grown up in Christian homes, and we've heard of the resurrection of Jesus from very young ages. Not all of us, but many of us. Do we realize the wonder of the resurrection? You know, it's an incredible thing. And, and it's, we cannot lose the wonder of it. Our hope would be nothing. We would have no absolute confidence for sure that anything would happen if Jesus Christ were still dead in a tomb. We're looking forward in the next few weeks to rejoice in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior 
really every single Sunday is a celebration of his resurrection. That's why we meet on the first day of the week, is to celebrate that he is not dead, but he is alive. And because he is alive, we have a lively hope. And so this morning, we may be tempted to be confirmed or sad, and it's right to be sad, but not to sorrow as those that have no hope, as 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us. We don't sorrow or grieve without hope. We have hope, and we have hope that is not vain hope because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Isn't that exciting? Hope. Hope, a confident expectation. We know absolutely for sure that God will do what he has said he will do. Continues on, speaking of an inheritance. An inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Speaking of what is future, but yet also in some ways real now. Going on. And lest you be like, oh, well, what about the now? What about the now? It's nice to say that for in glory and we're in heaven, but how about right and now? Well, we can be assured that this blessed God, our Father, is one who also keeps us. Who? We, these elect, strangers, scattered, persecuted, are kept by the power of God through faith. That's belief. That's trusting in him unto salvation. And this salvation is not specifically referring to salvation that takes place at the moment we believe in Jesus and are saved eternally. It's a continuation referring to that, but by extension all the way to the day when these bodies shall put on incorruption. It's a resurrection salvation being described here that shall be revealed in the last time. Turning over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We read this this morning as we began Bible hour. Dealing with this very hope. He, he speaks. Here now Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4 writes to the brethren and says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, in verse 13, concerning them which are asleep. Asleep. That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Why? Because we have a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For if we believe, here you see the faith, that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus, those are dead in Jesus, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, Here's some hope. We're getting some promises made here, which results in hope. That we, which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent or come before them which are asleep, those who were dead in Christ. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ 
shall rise first. That salvation, that lively hope, then we, this speaking of the catching up, the rapture, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. In Titus, this reference here to the Lord coming in the clouds with the saints and the catching up of living believers at that time is referred to there as the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of God our Father. Glorious, glorious, a blessed, blessed hope we have here. Wherefore, we comfort, we comfort one another with these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to look some more at that phrase, hath begotten us again. Hath begotten us again. This is, being, this is phrased in a way that's somewhat unique to how we usually would use this phrase as a theological term. We often would refer to this as being born again. Born again. The theme is not only presented here in verse 3. In fact, as we continue down through this chapter, this chapter just glories in all that is involved and connected to our resurrection or to our salvation in Christ and our life in him. And it occurs again after some very practical admonition is given in verse 23. It says this, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Well, what's that mean? Well, we were born the first time of corruptible seed. We're in Adam, and in Adam all die. Corruptible seed. But we're born again the second time Begotten, it says in verse 3, us again unto a lively hope. This, born again, is of incorruptible. This is us being born again as new creations in Christ Jesus. And you know why this is such a big deal? Because it is by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever you see our hope is not based upon just you know some theologian making up an idea of being born again and somebody just saying you have a lively hope go be blessed oh no 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 this lively hope is so exciting because it's based upon the word of god which doesn't fail. It's everlasting. And we'll get to this when we come to it later in the chapter, but I can't neglect it now because it deals with it. It gives an illustration. It parallels how incredibly confident we can be, how hopeful we can be in God's word when it compares 
it to the flower and grass of the field. Verse 24. For all flesh, that's us as we are right now. is his grass. What happens to grass? Well, we'll read about it here in a minute. And all the glory of man is the flower of grass. Have you ever seen someone dead in the coffin? There's no glory there, is there? It's the flesh. If untreated, will rot and decay. No glory there. The grass withereth, and the flower, the glory thereof, falleth away. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Just gone, like a grass or a flower will be gone. But that's not the way it is for those born again of incorruptible seed. And again, coming back to the word of the Lord, which guarantees this, for the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. The word of God, the gospel. Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again. Christ, the blessed hope, our lively hope. This morning, do you have hope? Have you this morning been born again? If you have, you have a lively hope. Turn with me back to the, the gospel of John. The truth of this was introduced in this gospel very clearly to us. Actually, when we think of the phrase born again, Many of us will immediately think of John chapter 3. And John chapter 3 is exactly where we're going to go in a minute. We got to go to chapter 1 first. Chapter 1 begins with glorious truths presenting Jesus Christ as the Word made flesh. If we look here of the Word who is the true light. He says in John chapter 1, verse 10, he, the word, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This morning, if you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
you are born again and you have become one of the sons or the children of God. Turn to John chapter 3. It tells us that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The Pharisees were a Jewish sect that were actually theologically conservative, though many of them were legalistic and many of them were not believers. But many were questioning. Nicodemus was one of those questioning. The same came to Jesus by night. He came by night because it would have been very dangerous to come to him by day in his position. And said unto him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? That makes a lot of sense, that question, doesn't it? Now, I'll talk to the kids since so many of us adults um, wouldn't want to be associated with asking such a silly question. Philip, do you think you'd fit back inside your mommy's tummy? You don't think you would? How about your uncle there? You think your uncle would fit back inside his mommy's tummy? No. So how do you get born again? Well, Jesus explains it. He's not talking about that kind of birth. That's the first birth. But being born again is not that kind of birth. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit... He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit has to be involved in you being born again. It's interesting here. We're not going to take time to exegete and to explain the entire chapter here this morning. But I would like to point out one thing here. When it speaks of born of water, there are some who say, well, that means you need to be baptized in water to be saved. Well, let me give you a, what I believe is a more accurate understanding of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is acknowledging the birth as in the human birth, born of water. If you've been around pregnant ladies, soon to be delivered, you hear about the water breaking, the water breaking. I had a little niece that was born just a few weeks ago. And by the way, I might have another one being born here any day, any moment. They packed up, Lawrence and Alexis packed up the car seat last night on the way to the hospital. I haven't heard anything. Has anyone else in my family heard anything? All is well, I guess. But... Um, a few weeks ago, I had a little niece born. 
And everybody got really excited. Do you know why? Because when she came out, she was still intact in the sack. And all the fluid was there. And everything was intact. And it got everybody excited. Because the water hadn't broken. And, and they could just, the baby didn't even need to be breathing. The baby was still in the placenta, all in the round, in the water. And everybody got so excited. This only happens one in so many thousand or hundreds of thousands. I don't know what it was. And um, everyone was so excited. Well, there's a very vivid illustration of being born of water. Being born of water. That's speaking of our first birth. But Jesus is saying here, you need to be born again, not just of water, but born again of the Spirit. Parallel back to 1 Peter chapter 1, where it's speaking of the flesh. Here again is the contrast coming through as well, that who we are as human beings, but yet it's more than just us being born as human beings. We need to be born again. We need to be born into the family of God. And that is done by the Holy Spirit. That's the only way one can enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6 again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? How is this possible? What needs to happen for one to be born again? He's still confused. I'm glad Nicodemus asked the question, and I'm glad Jesus went on to answer it. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master, a teacher of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven." And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The perish here is parallel to the picture over in Peter of the grass withering and the flower thereof falleth away. But the one who believes in the Son of Man who is lifted up will not perish but have eternal life, a lively hope. For God, Jesus says in verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Again, back in 1 Peter, we are begotten again unto this lively hope. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of God. And it's through him that we believe and shall not perish. It is in him that we have everlasting life. He didn't come to condemn, destroy, judge the world, at least not the first time. And he's not willing that any should perish. He's long-suffering. But that the world through him might be saved. It's explained further, verse 18. He that believeth on him, the Son of God, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the commandment that light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. Again, actually parallel to 1 Peter, which we don't have time to go into, but which is immediately in chapter 1, preceding verse 23 about being born again, is speaking of how this life is lived in obedience to God. So being born again. How is one born again? Born by the Spirit. How is one born by the Spirit? By believing in Jesus, the one who died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. The lively hope. The everlasting life we have is by the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he rose from the dead. So this morning, are you born again? Are you begotten again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the James chapter 1 tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Have you been born again? This morning, if you're having trouble blessing God, 
this matter needs dealt with first. And if you are born again, and you're downhearted, or you're tempted to be frustrated or discouraged, bless your God. Recognize that he is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he has abundant mercy, and it's according to his abundant mercy that we have been begotten again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We'll explain these following verses more later, but listen as it continues on. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Blessed be you, our great God and heavenly Father. May all praise, glory, and honor be to you, our heavenly Father. We give thanks this day for your abundant mercy. We give thanks today that we are your children. We give thanks today that we have been begotten again, that we have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. We give thanks today that we have a lively hope and a hope that is in the absolute eternal word of you and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we give thanks for the sacrifice of Jesus, we give thanks today, Jesus, that you are risen. We exalt you and praise you seated there at the right hand of our Father. Blessed be our God. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being the one by whom we are born again. Lord Jesus, I pray this morning for each one who is not born again in this room or watching on live stream. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in their hearts and minds, reprove them of sin, of judgment and of righteousness. Show them that it is only in you that there is a lively hope. And I pray that today they would believe in you as you draw them to yourself. Lord, may we go forth this day, this week, rejoicing, praising you, and following and trusting you. Moment by moment, that our hearts be not discouraged, but that we rejoice in hope. We commit ourselves now to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.